and what we're doing is kind of a church service like they would do. And so with that in mind, what we're doing is going back in time. The paper that you have, we're encouraging you to just pick an individual. Pick somebody, one of those categories that says, okay, uh, male, female, an adult, a child. Uh, You choose your position in life. Now, if everybody chooses nobility and royalty, then we have a very snobbish church. Okay, so if you, if you want to pick one of those characters, we're going to talk about them in the next few moments of what they're like. Let me take you back to our setting this evening. It is January 19th. The year is 63 AD. Jesus had died, resurrected, ascended to heaven just a little over 30 years ago. And uh, about 10 years ago, Paul came to our city of Ephesus, where no longer Lebanon, PA. God, that Paul came under the inspiration of the guidance of the Holy Spirit, came to this city in Ephesus, and he started sharing the gospel. And as a result of sharing the gospel, there was a response by a number of you. You got saved. Some of you got saved out of being some in the guild of silversmiths that were making idols in the past. Some of you used to go to Jewish synagogues on a regular uh, Saturday and that you'd worship that way. But now here we are. Several years later, we're gathered together. Some have been saved since that time. And after Paul left, we got a new pastor. His pastor was Apollos, his name. And so he worked with us for a period of time. And here we are, we're gathered in Ephesus. Now, to give you an idea of our background, okay, we don't speak Pennsylvania Dutch anymore. Okay, what we're speaking is Greek. We're in the area of Asia Minor. The city that we live in is one of the big three cities of all that part of the Mediterranean. And so it's a major, major city. In fact, we're a very special city. We're, a, we're one of the very few cities in the Roman Empire that is called a free city. That is, we can independently independently run ourselves, and we are very proud of it. And we run our own laws. We don't have a Roman ruler over us. And so we're a, we're a really, really, really powerful city. And there's a lot of merchants in our town. We're on the main traffic ways for, the, for people coming in. We're one of the major, major cities of the ancient world. We're over 50,000 in just our theater when we gather on, uh, on the stadiums, when we have Super Gladiator Day, okay? That's coming up in a few weeks. They, somebody might call it Super Bowl in the future, but we still call it Super Gladiator Day. And that's coming up, and we even host some things called the Isthmian Games that happen every couple years. So we're a very, very, very powerful, popular city. We're very proud of it. One of the best things in our town that is bigger than the silo over here in literal Lebanon is the, is the temple that has been dedicated to Athena or, or Diana or called Artemis, excuse me, uh, that this, this is a goddess that a lot of people in our region of the world, they worship. But we are her center place of worship. In fact, what is talked about legendary is that the legend of this area is the gods in the, in the pantheon of the gods, they created this statue of Diana, and they set it down from the heavens, down into one of the fields outside of our town. And when our ancestors found it, they got this statue, and then they built one of the great, great temples of the ancient world. In fact, it becomes one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It is this beautiful temple. People come from all over the world to worship at our temple of Diana. And many of us have, um, have decided that what we're going to do is we're going to make some money off of it. And a lot of you make a lot of these little statues of Diana and you sell them. And on the statues, there's markings that came down from heaven, supposedly. And if we read those words or those markings, people will be healed. 
these markings, these words that are written down. They're, they're magical, supposedly. And so we sell a lot of those, and some of you are even getting involved with business that you will go around and you will heal people by reading those incantations and those, so, and those uh, rituals that are written on that statue. And so as a result, some of you have become very, very rich by selling your statues of this goddess. Some of you are very wealthy because the people who come in to the city to worship, they, they do a lot of business in our city. They come here because they want to be healed. They come here because they want to have financial success. And if they read those incantations from the statue of Diana or Artemis, then that's going to happen. And so, in fact, it's become down where that statue is, right in the outskirts of town. Right there is where we have our Bank of Ephesus, which is the largest bank in the known world. It's the only bank that has a security system. And so, it's a, it, we're doing great. Now, 10 years ago, Paul came in, and when Paul came in, what he did is he started, when he started preaching, he went to the Jewish synagogue. And uh, this town has a good-sized Jewish community. And they have a school of Tyrannus located here. That is one of the major teachers of the ancient world in the Jewish sector. He had his own college there in Ephesus. And Paul came and talked and debated in his school. And Paul then uh, met others here. In our, in our town, we have a lot of exorcists. We have Sceva and his seven sons who were very popular at one time. They did a lot of casting out demons and those, you know, they used their Jewish idea of the same incantations that came from that statue. And so when Paul was here, God gave Paul an ability at this time when he was in Ephesus to do a lot of miracles because this was a city that was caught up in miracles. Paul did a lot of them. In fact, it even talked about in the book of Acts that people went after his clothing to touch his clothing so that they could be healed. And so God made it very clear that Paul was from him and many of the Jews started to believe. And then they started sharing the word of God and many of the Greeks started believing as well. And uh, many of you who used to be selling your statues, and so, you've recanted. In fact, when Paul was still here, a lot of you got rid of your statues and you started a bonfire downtown and you started burning those. Well, that's created an entire riot. And it was a huge, huge upsetted riot that you can read about in the book of Acts that got us into a lot of trouble. And we were afraid that the Romans would take away our independence. So we don't want any more problems like that. And so we want those Christians not to make such a big show of their Christianity. And so some of you Christians have lived through some of that and experienced it. Now, when we come to the time that we're going to hold a church service, church services back then would be different than now. We wouldn't have lights. Nobody ran to the switch to turn them off. That's good. We wouldn't have heat. And again, we wouldn't have the cold weather like, they, like we have here in this region of the world. But let's pretend we go back. That means in our church service, there's a lot of things that aren't there. One of them is these are gone, okay? And so we don't have those. Amen. Praise God. Um, we're, we're, I'm dressed inappropriately, okay? I would be wearing, if we were back in those days, don't say a dress, Okay, <laughs> we'd be wearing the robes, the tunics, okay? A lot of you are dressed, uh, not quite for the, for the time period, but we'll just pretend your clothing, uh, it suits. We wouldn't have these things, microphones, but I'm not going to get rid of it this evening. We definitely wouldn't have screens, okay? And you wouldn't have padded on it, padding on what pews you have. 
And so the church service will be a little bit different. So we're going to cheat tonight. We're going to use some of these modern technology to just keep us going. And, uh, and uh, contrary to what some people think, the church services weren't always in a service building like this in the early church, a lot of times in the homes, or they would rent public buildings. They did that down in Jerusalem. They used some of the corridors around in the rooms aside the temple. Then they did some in the homes. And there are, there are uh, archaeological discoveries that there were church buildings and large areas that were set aside for church worship very, very early in church history. So not everything stayed in the homes. But we'll pretend we're in one of those rented rooms. Our, our rooms would be set up different. We would have towards the front, and the reason that we would do it this way is a lot of us who got saved were Jewish in background. And so we kind of just, kind of just copied what the Jewish service was like. And so we would have at the front of our auditorium a raised platform, and it would be called a what? Anybody know what they called the raised platform? Not a stage. A dias, or the word that they would use in the Greek society would be a bima. Okay, this would be your bima. Did you ever hear that word in the scriptures? Okay. It would be the place where the, the, uh, the you know, studying, the teaching would go. Uh, the pulpit would be used for reading. The lectern would be used for reading. Uh, when the preacher would preach or lead in discussion, he would sit. There would be chairs that, uh, or tables here to the side that would hold some of the documents that we would read. And uh, if you feel like moving, you're more than welcome to move. The first few rows up front were saved for the most important people in the room. So if anybody wants to move at this moment, and then we'll talk about humility after you get up here. Okay. But the, the important people would be towards the front, or they might even sit on the platform. And so that we would have our, our setup a little bit different. And something that you're doing, a lot of you are doing wrong. Okay, the way you're sitting and who you're sitting with, this would not be the way it was in the Bible. We would have the really important people in the front rows. Then we would go to the next most important group. The men. The men. Where would the ladies and kids go? To the back where you deserve to be. Okay. <laughs> Now, if you want to move, you're welcome to do that. Then you can get counseling afterwards, okay? But, and uh, so we would be divided up. The setting would be a lot different than what we're used to. Uh, the division of age and genders was very important. And so uh, the length of service would be different. You're saying not much different than Faith Baptist. Um, the length of service, you were encouraging me that you said that if we're going to do the New Testament, how long do I get to preach tonight? He said it. He said it. Okay. He, he said, I can preach until you guys get so tired somebody falls asleep out of the, in the balcony and falls out. And then we'll raise them up. So the services could be a lot longer than what we're used to. But then again, they would only use, do one service in a day. And so that's the basic service. The other things that we, we if we're doing New Testament days back then, we're not having a piano. We wouldn't have a piano in Oregon in those because, number one... They weren't invented, and then as time went by, they were considered evil instruments initially. Even in the early church, especially that one, was considered extremely evil and ungodly for quite a few years. Um, and so we're going to do a, some of that service now. You've picked people. Let me give you a little bit of information if you haven't picked your person, because this is going to come up when we read scriptures. Okay, male, female, God already made that choice for you. But ladies, uh, let's, let's remind you that we're living in Ephesus. You're not considered of real high value. You're never included in the city census. 
You're not even counted at all, ladies. Uh, the Greeks in their society would typically not include you in social events. You were to be kind of very quiet. And you were definitely considered intellectually inferior. It, don't get mad at me. This is what it was back then in that history. Let's talk about married or single. Uh, that one's pretty simple. But let's remind, and I'm going to talk about the wives here. We're living in a culture, if we were back in Ephesus, where your most important contribution to society was have babies and raise them. But if you had some wealth, you didn't do the raising. If you were middle class and upper class, you hired people to raise your kids because children were basically a bother, and so you you don't get involved with it. It was very, very common and acceptable for middle class men and above to have mistresses on the side. And so that's going to play a lot in this letter. Uh, Parent or child, I mentioned that uh, the children would be considered low class. If there was a child born with an abnormality, that child would be gotten rid of. They wouldn't, be, they wouldn't be allowed to live, basically. Um, the children were considered to be a bother. The wealthy upper class would have servants raising them. It is interesting historical note. It seems to be historic that Ephesus had, for as big of a city, it has very low birth rate. This, uh, the description of that is because the parents and the people were more involved in making a living than raising kids. Wow, aren't you glad we don't have that thought in this world today? Um, when it comes to Jew or Gentile, the Jewish community thrived in this city because of the, there was a commercial city. Uh, the, Jew, the Gentiles, a lot of superstition. So whatever one you pick to be, this gives you a little bit of an idea. And we'll talk a little bit about this in a few minutes from now. But there was a lot, a lot of uh, division. Enmity is what shows up in the epistle. Another word for that is hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, If you chose yourself to be a rich merchant, noble, or a slave owner, then you were very small in number. That was a very small portion of the population, but they often were the ones in charge of running the city. The, um, the, most of the people who were middle class, they were working for merchants or as merchants and or somebody who might hire them to be able to sell the statues, make the statues. And the majority of us in this room would be slaves. We would be slaves because we were captured in war or we were born into slavery or we've been sold that way. So you've picked out your character. You have an idea of what you're like. Here's the way a church service would basically go. There isn't going to be any accompaniment, but we're just going to do what typically would be done. We would read some scriptures, sing some songs, read some scriptures, sing some songs, and then we're going to read the epistle that is written to us. So let's just start reading out loud as we get started this evening together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And we'll sing a song you're familiar with. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God.
pretending. But it has a tremendous passage that talks about singing praises to the Lord. Let's read it. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Music to kind of add in and embellish. You guys are doing great. Wonderful singing. They wouldn't typically have this, but we're going to do it tonight. Children's Church. Three years of age to the third grade. Let's let them be dismissed that way. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. You can head out to your kids' choir time. And the rest of you, I'm going to invite you to sit patiently and walk with me through one other aspect of this. In the Church of Ephesus... There was, as I already mentioned, there was a blend of all kinds of people. I'll just put it up and talk. There is some of you who have chosen... How many of you chose to be Greeks tonight or Gentiles? A number of you chose to be... How many chose to be Jews? You're Jewish in background? Okay. Um, what would happen in this, in this setting is there was people who would get, still do a lot of ma magician stuff, a lot of superstitious stuff, but in the church service, typically, there was Jews and Gentiles, and they didn't always get along together. And I noticed you all took the front row that's for the highly intelligent, <laughs> and with that as our basis, let's do this. Let's read the letter that Paul just wrote us. It just came in the Pony Express here a few days ago, and he has written to us. Now, let me throw something at you, okay? In Bible days, did they have their Bibles on their laps? So when the letter was written, it was written primarily to hear and to listen. And so what we're going to do is, you can follow along if you'd like, uh, that's fine. But listening might just tune you into some things a little bit different this evening. And we're going to be reading through the entire epistle, taking a break. On the back side of your sheet are some questions. As you listen and as a thought strikes you about what, how we should live here as a church in Ephesus, write those thoughts down. We're going to make some comparisons and do some discussion. And uh, have you listen. Now, just to follow, if you're following along, I have opted this evening to use multiple different versions between the chapters just to see if they, how they ring in your ears and some of the changes in words might catch your attention from what you're used to. Let's start off with chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past... You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, the spirit among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, they which are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off, you are made near to the blood of Jesus Christ. For he is our peace, 
who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hostility, even the law, the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make to himself of two one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God into one body by the cross, having slain the hostility thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them which were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We are so used 
to the way we do church that sometimes when we even read Scripture it goes over our head. And what we're trying to do this evening is just get you thinking. Instead of just saying, okay, I want to read a few verses, take a book in its entirety. And as you read, get the flow of the book. And think through what you're listening to as if this is the first time you're hearing it. And as you sat here, did anything strike you thus far other than, well, I wonder who won the last game. How's the score going? As you were sitting, was there something, some phrases, some verses that were read? Some of the letter that was read, and I shouldn't even use verses. Those only come in the 11 and 1200. Was there anything that struck you, that challenged you, that you said, this was something that just kind of highlighted to me? Anybody? Okay. Okay. Somebody. Oh, yes, sir. In fact, you heard that probably four, three or four times in the first part of the letter. That there's a there's a whole long section in the very beginning that's to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, that opens up one of the longest portions that Paul ever wrote, talking about why we should glorify God. And in that section, he says, like, uh, God who has adopted us, God who has predestined us, God who has sealed us with the Spirit, in whom we have redemption through his blood, it's in that section that he lists off all these heavenly blessings that how many of us share. Did you get a sense in this epistle, as it went on, that it was talking to certain elements in the church about unity? Yes, no? Did anybody catch that? Did you? The wall of partition. What's the wall of partition? Do you remember? You've got this holy, holy. You've got this veil between the common and the sacred. Let me build upon that, Bob. Let me build upon. If we were back in Jerusalem, okay, this is the temple, and see, we, you and I don't catch this as quick because we're we're centuries later. But in the Jewish temple, to remember, there would be this area the priest could go to, and then there was an area where the Jewish men could go to, and then there was an area that the ladies could go to, the Jewish ladies, and who was at the back spot? There was a wall of partition that stood up about two feet high. That, that had openings in it, but the Gentiles could not come beyond that wall. It was a literal barrier in the temple. And what did he write about? The wall of partition is broken down. It's broken down. I have to, I have to admit, yeah, what he's doing. As I look at it, I've caused a wall. I've looked at the differences. I've looked at the differences between someone who I've just found out is a fellow heir in Jesus Christ. Rather than being different, I need to break down the wall. Dawson, you were right. I'm sorry, friend. There was another statement with that. Dawson, you were right. I... He's not even going to answer it, is he? Sharon, does he ever say it? <laughs> you didn't hear me. Dawson, you were... <laughs> he, he wanted unity in the body so he just I wonder when people read I wonder if that wasn't how they responded 
how they started realizing there should be dropping some of this division. Bill? Mm. Okay, how many of you chose slave? A few of you, okay. And you found out that you're of the household? You have value? Joint heir. Would that be encouraging to people who have nothing in this world? Good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Anybody else? An additional thought? Additional thought? Let's go ahead. You choose what? I chose to be a Gentile. Okay. 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 That you're adopted into the. Okay. Yeah, that would that would be important. Okay, from your perspective. Okay. Now, do you remember how this book is broken down? This letter, the first what we know as chapters is doctrinal. Okay, it deals with more of the doctrine. What does the last three chapters deal with? The how to live out the doctrine. Let's read. Let's listen of how we're supposed to live out the doctrine and think through how would you respond. Now, some of this section is going to be important. Okay, ladies, this has importance to you. Kids, this has importance of some of what we're going to hear. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous person, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things which are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says... Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit you to your own husbands, even as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart just as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. 
Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Slave Bill, what did you catch out of there? Anybody pick their, you're rich and noble? Nobody's going to raise their hand for any of these categories now because you know I'm going to ask you a question. Those rich and noble, what were they told to do? Slave masters. Do what? Treat the, treat the others with respect. Absolutely. Any of you husbands in this room? Okay. Some of you are. What did you hear in this that in our culture says we don't have to do? What's that? Okay. Do you remember, remember what I started off saying in this culture? What did many of the men have on the sly? They had mistresses. What did he emphasize repeatedly? Love your, your own wife. This was, this was revolutionary for that culture. Okay. What did he tell the thieves? Stop stealing. Okay. What did he tell, uh, tell those who were given to lying? Speak the truth in love. What did he tell the wives whose husbands may even not be saved? Submit to the husbands. Revere the husbands. Okay, be respectful. What did he tell you parents who hire servants? If you're rich enough, you hire servants to raise the kids. What did you just hear? What's that? Okay, you're supposed to discipline, but raise them up in the, the nurture and admonition. Who's supposed to do that? The parents in particular, the fathers and the tax, they're supposed to get actively involved in their... This, think about this. If you were reading this for the first time, and see, we're, 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 we're in a different culture. Those people were getting a shock to their systems. They were hearing that their life has to be absolutely different from the society around them. Let me draw your attention to one text, one paragraph as we wind down. I want you, if you have your Bibles, join me in Ephesians 5, what we know as chapter 5. And keeping it in its context of where we are historically, I think this is an impacting verse thinking about the Ephesians back in those days. In Ephesians chapter 5. He is writing to them and he's writing to a very superstitious people that are very used to having um, dynamic dramatic, sensational displays of spiritual activity. Remember, I mentioned that already. Incantations, miracles galore. Uh, There's society that they had a lot of these people walking around, casting out demons, making, making potions and all those types of things. He writes to them about the spiritual realm and he writes two different paragraphs. In one paragraph, he is going to be negative at the end of the book, chapter 6. And he says, we are wrestling about with a what? 
an enemy round about us who is in the spiritual realm. And he tells him, put on the whole armor of God. Before that, in Ephesians 5, he writes to them and he gives them this text. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but what? Be filled with... Okay, now you're thinking from a very dynamic, dramatic, sensational, something phenomenal if I'm spirit-filled. And then when they read this for the first time, they would understand things a lot better than we would because it would be in their, their normal tongue. They would understand that what he is saying and the way he is saying it would be so clear that he would be saying, listen, God wants you to be spirit-filled. And this spirit filling isn't what you think is going to happen with this dramatic and exciting and all these phenomenal things. And he says, you know, that happens to a certain group. That happens to in a certain occasion. And he writes and he says, I want you to understand that you who have the spirit of God, that God is giving you all things above that which you can even think, I want you to understand something. He says, I want you to be spirit filled. By the way, it's so much of a want, it's a command. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where he's commanding them, be filled with the Spirit. He is saying this is something for all the believers, including the hoi polloi of the church, the slaves of the church. And it's very clear, he says in the original language, and all of you be filled in the Spirit. This idea is something that you could allow to happen or you could reject. It's something that you already have the Spirit of God, but when you would hear the word be filled, you would immediately understand that word because you were used to the word. It would be, if I were to change it and write it in English, that would be better for you to understand more quickly. Be controlled by the Spirit. Be guided and directed by the Spirit. The play reo would be the word that they would understand immediately, what it meant. It would be like somebody who is the marionette controlling the, the, the puppet down at the bottom. You know, the person with the strings. It would be like the wind blowing. It would be like the, you know, the person who's driving the car. And he's saying, I want you to be play reo of the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Something that you already have within you, but does he control you? And he makes the comment that they would catch quickly that this is something that you need to let happen every single day. Continually, over and over, let the Spirit control you. Let the Spirit control you when you're tempted to lie. Let the Spirit control you when you're letting the sun go down upon your wrath. Let the Spirit control you when you are speaking words that are negative to somebody else. Let the Spirit control you when you're tempted to do wrong and it shouldn't be even named amongst you. Let the Spirit control you when you are to love your wife, when you're to submit to your husband, when you're to teach your kids, when you're supposed to be working at work, not just as doing the job to get by, but giving it your very best. Let the Spirit control you when you come to church and you think about what you learned your entire life. Do I want to sit by that Gentile over there? Or do I want to move? Let the Spirit control you. Time and time again. He goes on, he makes this comment. He says, here's the benefits of it. Look at the next verses. If you let the Spirit control, you will automatically have this response. You will have psalms and hymns and spiritual song, the singing and making a melody in your hearts. There is going to be a peace in your heart. There's going to be a joy despite your slave circumstances, the pressures of your society or of your home. You're going to be able to operate with peace and joy and function the way you're supposed to function. 
In fact, he says that word a few verses before where he makes the comment, verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly. Another translation would be accurately. That you would do exactly what you're supposed to do. That comes through the Spirit of God. But it is going to be stifled. He's already mentioned earlier being grieved in the Spirit. You're going to stifle the Spirit if you're drunk with wine. You're going to stifle the Spirit if you're not walking in love. You're going to stifle the Spirit if in chapter 5, verse 4, you're getting involved with filthiness, foolish talk, jesting. If you're going to be a child, acting like a child of disobedience. And so he's writing to them. And a key passage, a key thought in this passage to superstitious people of the past, people who prided themselves, like the Jews, upon their past and their nationality, he's saying, listen, you really need to live Christianity. And in the world that you're living in, which is a tough world in Ephesus, you're outnumbered, you're outgunned, but you can do it through the Spirit of God's help. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to let the Spirit control you. Here, um, did, did any of you check your snowblowers this weekend? Yes, no? It's not part of the text, I know. So I just threw you. Any of you check your snowblowers, make sure they were working? Okay. So I went to the garage to make sure the thing was working, and I tried to fire it up and try to fire it up and try to fire it up. And it wouldn't start. It just wouldn't start. And then it dawned on me, you know, at the end of last season, I had it worked on, and I had the person put in an on-off switch for the fuel so that the fuel wouldn't sit inside the carburetor the entire time of the, you know, the summer and gel itself up. And it's amazing that all of a sudden when I flipped the switch and the fuel went into the carburetor, guess what? It ran pretty good. Did I use it? No. But it ran pretty good. Okay. It, the fuel was there. It's just that it was up to me whether or not I would let it flow where it needs to flow. It is totally up to you. What are you going to do with the Spirit of God? What are you going to do with the Spirit of God tomorrow when you're challenged to read the Word of God, to take up the armor, to take the sword of the Spirit? What are you going to do tomorrow when you're challenged to take some time with admonition and nurturing to your kids? What are you going to do tomorrow when you're challenged to love your spouse, to revere your husband? What are you going to do tomorrow when you go to work and your employees aren't working the way you want. Your boss is expecting more than what you want him to expect. What are you going to do? How much of the Spirit is going to control you in doing what you ought to do? The book is filled with so much. All we wanted to do this evening was portray another way to approach the Scriptures, trying to understand it within context, and then bring it to 2020. And trying sometimes, read a book in its entirety... And think it through. It can be of great benefit.